I love change. <laughs> change allows uh, people in design to make things better. It's always an opportunity to do something better a second time around. As soon as you introduce change, you introduce the possibilities that things can be improved. And that's why I like it. But design is everything. I'm drinking tea just now. Someone designed this cup. And uh, even the, the flavour of tea I'm having, someone actually had the thought about what taste it is. Design is everything. This is The Spark, a podcast about the mind at work. Neurons firing, inspiration at the ready. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Jonathan Gruber, and over the next 12 weeks, we'll be going on a journey inside some brilliant minds. We're setting out to uncover how people get inspired by the work they do and what inspires them to make life better. To tap into their deep reservoirs of inspiration and bring forth the innovations that will change the world. People like our first adventurer, Christine. Why is it that the people who experience genuine hardship seem to have the most joy and initiative? What inspires someone to fight when they're being told to rest? Christine is Scottish. We spoke on the phone and she invited me to come over and try haggis. She said it was an opportunity to combine creativity, tradition, and literally chew the fat about work and life. How could I say no? I'm Chrissy Welsh. I'm uh, 35 years old, and I'm the senior creative uh, lead for the software design language system at Philips. Do you want to see the haggis? Well, haggis is um, it was actually a traditional food in Scotland, uh, so I thought it would be really nice to make for dinner just because, well, for a lot of people that come over to the house, it's also nice just to give them something that they maybe not had before, but also it's incredibly tasty. Traditionally, it's hearts, lung and liver, but no one really makes it like that anymore. This one is um, side skirt of lamb and uh, cow liver, I think, and then they combine it with oats. It's actually incredibly good for you. High in iron, because of the oats, it's also not so fatty. It's going to be incredibly tasty, but don't hold all these things against it just because they're not traditional parts of the meat. If you get the opportunity, you should definitely try some haggis. It's very tasty for you. Awful is not awful. <laughs> well, the software design language system, it's like um, we make all the building blocks and uh, principles and guidelines that people need to be able to design for software. And that means that it's um, small building blocks of design that get put together to make whole designs, either mobile phone or on imaging machines like MR or CT. So basically, we just help people make really consistent, really kick-ass designs. For me, good design is putting your user first, making sure things are greatly uh, put together, making sure that everything works seamlessly, but also that you shouldn't really notice the design. So you shouldn't notice the user experience. You shouldn't notice things about it. It should just help you get the stuff that you need done, done. So if you're trying to do something on a phone or in a CT or MR machine, basically good design shouldn't get in your way. It should just enable. So basically good design is enabling you to do what your tasks, do what you need to do. Something that, uh, so we, Deglaze the pan a little bit with whiskey. 
and then you keep little ends of, so when you cut your haggis, you keep the ends and then you use it to make your sauce, your whiskey sauce. So they get mushed up with the butter. And then you have to add some whiskey and, uh, and then you cook that down and you cook it with cream and that makes like a little whiskey cream sauce. Christine is so passionate about what she does. It doesn't take long for the conversation to turn to what fires her up. And I don't just mean the frying haggis. I asked her, is design really everything? She said, yes. Design is everything. I'm drinking tea just now. Someone designed this cup. And uh, even the, the flavor of tea I'm having, someone actually had the thought about what taste it is. Design is everything. The Mac that I've got next to me, the microphone that you have in your hand, everything is designed. Someone thought about everything. So when someone asks you how important is design, you only have to look around your own room or even the clothes you wear. And that is design. It's absolutely everywhere and everything. And if you can make little things around you all the time better, then it's always getting better. When I encounter bad design, I make a frowny face. And then I, and if I can change it and effect change, then I'll do that. But sometimes I just have a frowny face. That's what happens when I encounter bad design, yeah. The haggis actually starts popping. So when it gets hot, like the little oats start to like pop. So I was just sitting, you can, yeah, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so it means that if you're cooking with it, you kind of need to use this little like lid shield to kind of make sure that you protect your nice clothes. Or even better, don't cook in your nice clothes, right? And uh, yeah, so all that sound is all things popping and doing crazy stuff. So that, that means it's going well. All good things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I get impatient with people who can't keep up. <laughs> yeah, I do. I get impatient. Do you feel like, why don't they understand immediately what I'm trying to Yeah, no, not quite like that. But it's more, um, if I, if, yeah, it's more about uh, the ideas. So if I can't get someone to come on board with the, the ideas, then I guess I get impatient because then it's, for me, it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you want something that makes you faster, better, stronger, more aligned, easier to work with? How often does it happen? Uh, more often than you think, but that's mostly because people are, um, you know, people don't like change so much. So if you introduce change, then they get uh, a little abrasive just to the idea of change, and it wouldn't matter what it is that you're bringing in. Sometimes it's just hard for people to change. I love change. <laughs> change allows people in design to make things better it's always an opportunity to do something better a second time around as soon as you introduce change you introduce the possibilities that things can be improved and that's why i like it yeah i have to fight all the time to get my changes made so the pan's being deglazed now with the whiskey and you can use um, any alcohol to do that, but of course this is Scotland, so... Well, this isn't Scotland, this is Netherlands. But uh, we, we use it, uh, and you can see that when it mixes with the butter, it makes that lovely um, kind of golden brown colour. Or it does make that golden brown colour. And that's your basis for your sauce. Then you can add cream and reduce that down with some pepper, and then you've got a beautiful whiskey sauce. And what are these 
these things over there. Oh, poached eggs. It is the easiest way to make a poached egg for those that suffer with the poached egg problem of it always separating whenever you make it. If you use a little cling film before and then you crack your egg into it and then make a little parcel and you dunk that into your water, it will always make the perfect poached egg. Top tip. But things weren't always haggis and whiskey cream for Christine. You can learn a lot from how she tells it. She doesn't pause for a second to feel sorry for herself. Her personal tragedy inspired creative solutions. A fresh challenge meant a plan for success and happiness. She even learned to treat the whole thing with a sixth sense, a sense of humor. I went to Glasgow Metropolitan College, and uh, I went there because of uh, <laughs> a failed attempt to get into Glasgow Art School. You have to understand, I was a little younger, so I was 16 at that time. That's very young, isn't it? I started school early because I was a smart kid. So well, I was 16 when I went to the interview at Glasgow School of Art. But I didn't get in. I kind of thought it was a sure thing. I thought, well, obviously they'll want me because I'm so creative. The naivety of youth. And uh, when I didn't get in, I didn't have too many backup plans. So I ended up going to uh, Glasgow Metropolitan College and I'm doing digital art. So originally I wanted to do painting. And then I learned a lot about computers, software, uh, combining art in the digital space. Not everything that you think is bad for you is actually is. It can be the best choices you make are the ones that you make out of necessity. So I did two years at that college. And then I kind of got a little sick towards the end of the, the two years of the college. And over the summer, I, I had to uh, get some tests and things like that done. I got diagnosed with having large B-cell diffused non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So that meant I had uh, lymphatic cancer. I had this big thing on my neck. They thought it was just a blocked saliva duct at the time. So it's like nothing serious, you've just got a blocked saliva duct. So I lived with that for like a few months, but actually it was way serious. It was quite an aggressive uh, form of cancer and uh, le even leaving it for a short period of time can be very dangerous. So it meant I had to live in hospital, uh, I got chemotherapy, I got radiotherapy, I did a few cycles of uh, CHOP with methotrexate. So chemo is not one drug actually, it's a combination of a few drugs together, so CHOP is one form of the combination. So CHOP stands for the different types of combinations, and then they tagged on uh, methotrexate at the end, uh, maybe six or eight cycles. So that was like one a month or something like that. So I got tested every month for the, my blood counts, my white blood cell counts, how my immune system was doing, uh, platelet counts. Towards the, I have to be honest, so towards the end of the year and a half, it was, I was mostly out and in, so, but I couldn't, I was always tired. My friends gathered my university work and I would work from the hospital and I would study there. The beds, because I had to share the room, so I basically got a bed and a side cabinet. And that would be stuff full of um, books, notepads. I had uh, a lot of sketching for ideas. I had laptops where I would uh, work on some designs. But I would basically study a lot from books. I had books everywhere. I had sketch pads everywhere. And I would often be fine with my earphones in, to be honest. 
just because of the noise of the hospitals actually quite intense there's always machines beeping and the nurses the nurses they were hilarious they're like family at the end of the day that's another reason why why making nurses lives better with machines is so close to my heart because they're just real people who try to do a great job with very sick people and they often don't get a lot of thanks and if you can make their lives a little easier or better that's always a nice thing to do I would actually be told off a lot of times to clean it, to clean it, clean it up because they're working with needles a lot of the time and they're working with drugs and heavy drugs. And so I was basically stopping them doing their job very efficiently. Yeah, I had a Hickman line in at the time. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it there. Your veins collapse if they have to put needles into you all the time. So they, they give you this line and it goes into your arteries. So they, they have this plastic tube that goes in and it's all on my chest, on the, the right-hand side of my chest. And it looks like a little bullet wound or something. That's kind of how it looks like. It's got scar tissue. It looks like a little bullet. Uh, I used to joke with people that that's where it was. I used to see their faces when I used to say it. And it means that they can give you the drugs easier. So that means they don't have to find a vein to be able to distribute the drugs. Because it's going into important veins and arteries, they can distribute it quickly. I actually had um, some bad experiences with mine. I had to get it taken out eventually because they, they flushed a whole load of infection through me one time, uh, which caused it to see me. And I nearly and I went into massive shock. It was a, an incredibly uh, close call for me at that point as well. I almost died more than once. So I actually got a diagnosis of seven years. And so they were going into preventative care at that time. I was actually very lucky that my accounts and I started to improve with the drugs that I was getting. That's actually another reason why I wanted to do my degree, because I didn't want to be a stupid person. <laughs> person. Seven years later, I wanted to have my degrees. I don't like people telling me what I can't do. The doctors advised me, and they were right to advise me, so I don't want to say that doctors are wrong. They're often not wrong. They're often very right. But the doctors at that moment had advised me that the stress of university, and it is stressful, combined with the amount of work needed to do the course, combined with the fact I couldn't attend the lectures, and the fact that in the cases where I have to hand in work or attend a test, you know, I was going to be exposed to people and germs, and that was going to affect my health. At the hospital, I had more than one person willing to help sneak things in and sneak me out. So my dad used to sneak rolls and chips into the hospital and it was unsanitized foods from a fish and chip shop. And it was uh, things that you should not be eating because if it has any kind of bacteria on it, it could be potentially quite dangerous for me because of uh, my immune system wasn't behaving correctly so therefore it was a very dangerous position to have food not cooked by the hospital to eat. Um, I really didn't care, I just wanted my rolling and chips. I had a friend in the hospital and we used to sneak out. <laughs> for a few weeks it's okay but if you're looking at a long-term stay it's like a prison sentence. One time my dad snuck me out of the hospital and that was just because I think I made too much of a sad face about not being able to get outside so yeah he snuck me out we went for a walk this is how you sneak out of Gart Naval's oncology ward 
The first thing I want to say is you should absolutely not do this. You should absolutely not wait for the nurses to go on their tea and toast break when they're at the desk. You definitely should not put your trainers on in anticipation of them going for their tea and toast break. But if you do happen to find yourself with nurses on their break, not at their station, with your shoes on, you can make the dash from your bed to the elevator in about 1.5 minutes. You can get to the elevators, hit the ground floor, the, the doors close, and you're usually free for approximately one hour. That's how long you roughly have before they notice you're missing. So yes, this is how you do it, or this is how you would do it that you definitely should not do if you were to do it, which you shouldn't, in, <laughs> in that order. <laughs> yeah. Christine's challenges have broadened her horizons in two different ways. On the one hand, they've let her see just how much her life has impacted others. On the other hand, it's taught her to truly live in the moment, to be joyful. I got the all clear roughly about two years after diagnosis. So that was another six months of checks. Well, you never really get the all clear. That's that's actually something that we should say, but you get uh, clear for now. At first it's weeks, then you get cleared for months, and then you get cleared for a year. I'm still at the point where I have to get checked every year, but they reckon if you're five years without, the chance of reoccurring is the same as it was if it would have recurred in the first place. I feel very lucky to be alive, but they try to um, save because you're going to get chemo. So they try to save uh, ovaries and all kinds of eggs and things like that. So I also got a laparoscopy. That means they go in and they try to take your little eggs out. The second one, uh, they cut a major blood vessel on the way out of the operations, which meant they sewed me with an internal blade. So I was actually bleeding out on the ward. So I had to get emergency things done in my stomach. I don't have the most beautiful stomach. I'm never going to have a beach body. Kind of have to like make peace with that. How do you feel? I feel great. I feel very uh, happy. I feel very lucky. Uh, I've done lots of things since then that um, I think without having had that experience, I probably wouldn't have done. I've moved countries. I've taken consulting jobs that sent me around the world. But I've actually lived a very, even at 35, I've lived a very full life. I feel extra lucky to be alive. I'd actually toyed about going and being a doctor after I finished so retraining as a doctor until I discovered that every time uh, I had to remind myself that every time they had to use a vein to take blood, I had to look away because I couldn't actually stand it. I couldn't stand the sight of it. I didn't like seeing a needle going in. I was a really a bad candidate. I had to find another way to, to contribute and I find, I feel like now I find that way. So with these machines and with these uh, devices that they have, 
they use them so often and you use them and if you can make it faster for them make it easier to be understood over the lifespan of these machines they can save maybe one or two lives just with the speed of use just by being more efficient just by delivering drugs in a better way or being able to display exactly what's going on being able to alert people at the right moments in time if you're pressure drops these sensors and machines are so important to you and them because they're your lifeline to the nurses if something goes wrong like I had with the septicemia and your blood pressure starts to drop it's the machines that tell the nurses you're in trouble actually it's not you you're incapable of actually saying anything so they're your connection to staying alive I think a lot of the time especially if you're in bad shape it came to me through a different path doing this uh this design language that can be part of these machines, that can be part of these systems. And in doing so, I kind of feel like that's what I should have been doing all along, actually. So good design in healthcare can actually save lives. But what about quality of life? Christine says good design means appreciating the things that surround us. And bad design is, well, it's bad. But now to more important things, like that storm Christine just cooked up. So before you on your plate, Jonathan, you have haggis, nips and tatties with a piece of black pudding, a poached egg and some whiskey sauce. And it's done like a little stack. So you can like have the potatoes, nips at the bottom, then your crispy black pudding and then your buttered, uh, uh, fried and sauteed um, haggis, your poached egg cut in half with the runny center and then poured over that is your beautiful and delicious whiskey sauce with alcohol burned off. It's actually very delicious. It's really delicious. Oh, wow. And now the black pudding. Yeah. If you're looking for a career out of the ordinary, check out careers.phillips.com. And if you haven't yet, go to your podcast app and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm Jonathan Gruber. Thank you for listening. Next time on The Spark. If you walk into a boardroom, you know, a tr traditional meeting boardroom, business boardroom, and in the middle of it, you place a rubber duck, what's going to happen? It's going to spark creativity in the team. So I am addicted to those moments of high energy and intensity, like when a moment the spark comes, when an idea hits, you know, like the franticness of it. I guess some runners do it to get to that place, but I do it intellectually. I like to crack nuts. I don't know, that sounds funny to say, but when I say crack a nut, I mean, the, the essence of design is taking a um, problem or an issue or a challenge, deconstructing it, looking for interrelationships, and then putting it back together. So in, in a new context, a new framing, right? So the moment I crack that nut is the height of ecstasy, shall we say, and the spark. You've been listening to The Spark, a podcast produced by the Phillips Recruitment Team. Available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I was in a bus crash earlier this year, so that's another. Thank you. I'm, I'm really unlucky in these respects. So this was um, this is in Amsterdam. I was coming home from work, and a van crashed into the bus, so I was uh, out for a little while. I had a heavy concussion. When I'm in the ER room, they had a Philips machine, the old spot check machine, and I actually said, "That's one of mine." <laughs> and they were like, no, I think it's the hospitals. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know it's yours, but it's one of mine. And they were like, no, it's the hospitals. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I'll just stop there. 
innovation and you. Philips. <laughs>